Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Behind the Mask, the Green Edition. For the month of March, which is Logistics Sustainability Month, in addition to looking at how people working in logistics are coping during the pandemic, we're going to focus on issues of sustainability and environmental awareness. I'm your host, Rachel Kador. Today we have two fantastic guests. We are joined by Fernando Liesa from Alice and Moritz Peterson from Kuna Logistics University. So let's start with you, Fernando. Could you start by introducing yourself and uh, and some of what you do at Alice? Okay, uh, uh, thank you for for inviting me to this uh, uh, nice uh, podcast. I'm Fernando Liesa. I was born in a small city in in Spain called Huesca. That uh, most probably nobody knows where it is, but uh, I, it's very nice. And and there from there I studied in Zaragoza and then worked there in in research and innovation. Then I moved to to logistics like uh, 15 years ago and moved from research and innovation in uh, other field and chemical engineer to to logistics to to really try to create a framework for uh, logistics uh, companies and research and innovation to get uh, uh, innovation into into practice. I worked uh, for the Zaragoza Logistics Center, and that is uh, a sister uh, organization of the MIT, and it's part of the MIT Global Scale Network, and that uh, brought me to the European uh, arena. And then six years ago. Indeed, uh, uh, we started working on the idea that uh, there, there was a need to have a, a forum and an organization in, in Europe in which uh, different uh, stakeholders and players of the, of the logistics chain uh, could uh, uh, work together and discuss how logistics should look like in future and which were the research needs or the gaps that should be covered to reach uh, to, the, to the objectives. And that we started uh, uh, six years ago, and that was Alice, and and that brought me uh, to uh, Brussels, where I live uh, for the last five years, and I'm very happy as Secretary General of uh, Alice, a uh, growing organization that I think I will talk a little bit later, a little bit more. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, Moritz, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about your research? Sure. So. Uh... Thank you for having me. Uh, well, my name is Moritz. I'm also from a small city, but in Germany, it's it's Kiel up in the north. Um, I moved to Hamburg, became an engineer, um, did my PhD in this field. And today I work at Kuhn Logistics University. Um, we are a small private university uh, here in Hamburg, and we are focused on logistics and, and leadership. And there I'm an assistant professor for sustainable supply chain practice. And I also had the newly founded center for sustainable logistics and supply chains. Well, and in that center, we aim to make a contribution to well, make logistics and supply chains more uh, environmental friendly. Uh, and specifically, we, we look into helping to cut emissions. Wonderful. Well, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have both of you. And today we're going to be talking about a number of topics, but we're going to start by talking about this concept of net zero. And Fernando, I was hoping you could start by explaining to us just what does net zero mean and and how is Alice involved in helping us get there? And maybe you could start by explaining what Alice stands for, for anyone who may not know. 
Okay, yes, sure. Uh, Alice stands from the Alliance for Logistics Innovation through Collaboration in, in Europe. And if you analyze the name, is all what we do. We look into collaboration uh, between the different partners and how we can bring innovation into the market. And and indeed, uh, we uh, three years ago, four years ago, we started a discussion on uh, more on the long-term vision for for logistics and, and we were looking at that moment what we should do before that we were more focused on how we could make a logistics uh, change more efficient but we wanted to get a more uh, more social uh, target and then we we agreed that we should uh, really tackle the climate change and we agreed that our long-term vision was to drive to zero emission uh, logistics and then uh, after one year of work, we, we released uh, uh, the roadmap towards zero emissions uh, just the day before uh, the president of the European Commission was uh, announcing the Green Deal. So it was timely, but we were a little bit uh, ahead uh, in preparing the, the document. We couldn't prepare, of course, overnight, but it was very timely. And indeed, we had a lot of discussion if the target should be zero emission or, or that. And it, indeed, uh, to, the, to the question, uh, for us, it's not that important uh, to get to the perfect definition of uh, net zero, and, and I'm quite sure uh, Moritz uh, will have a say here, but uh, it's more uh, to really provide direction on uh, which is the, uh, the, the path we need to move uh, along and the size of the challenge. So then uh, we were talking on reductions of 60, 70, 90, and then it's really we need to set uh, the the target. Excellent. And and you're talking about collaboration, meeting this roadmap. Um, so that actually is a great segue into this uh, Transporion for Future initiative. Can you briefly uh, describe what that is and how it connects back to that roadmap? And uh, and then I'll I'll ask Moritz to join us in, in talking more about net zero. Yeah, in, in, indeed, it's, uh, it was very interesting because when we were discussing on this initiative from Transporion, uh, this, uh, this hackathon program and the different topics, we, we really went into them and we, we understood that uh, the, the five areas that were going to be worked out were indeed uh, implementation opportunities of what it was in our zero emission roadmap. And, and that's why uh, for us it was very very interesting and we indeed uh, thought okay let's uh, let's position this in in the frame and indeed it was very good for us because at the end what we are looking for is that our members are actually implementing what is in the roadmap and we can learn from them great and morris why don't you join us and talk about how you're connected to transporting for future and uh, the goal of moving towards net zero Sure. So first of all, I would like to second what Fernando just said. So as an academic, I naturally like definitions very much. But in this respect, I also agree that, uh, well, it's not really about defining what if, if it's net zero or zero and what that actually means, but actually moving into that area, right? So in this in this direction. So it's about understanding the nature of the challenge that we're looking at, the scale of the challenge, and starting to do work and i think transparent for future is is a great initiative in this realm right so because it addresses the 
the emissions challenge we face in in our industry with well with an open mind and in maybe a bit unusual organizational setting right because it it's built on interdisciplinary teams that that take on these uh five challenges uh, that they are well and if you look at one of those which is i think reducing empty mileage so essentially avoiding unnecessary transport um well, I, I would expect that these teams tackle this challenge from another angle than you might usually take. So for empty mileage, um, one might first think of developing a, a freight platform to better match demand and supply, right? But I guess there are more innovative and maybe outside the box approaches to that problem. And this is what I think this uh, Transport and for Future initiative is about. So finding these outside the box solutions and well if one of these projects would be successful then in the end it certainly would contribute to towards achieving the goal of of net zero and to cut emissions from the logistics industry and you mentioned that these are interdisciplinary teams and i think in transparent for future there's a big emphasis on the technology side so how is how is that related to uh, solving these issues as you said more outside the box so when you look at um, decarbonization of the industry, technology overall is a super important lever. And um, well, Fernando has already talked about this five principal solution fields, right, that are included in the roadmap and that were, that were first put forward by, by my colleague here in the center, Alan McKinnon, and then further detailed by, by Alice in their very helpful document, I think. And maybe as a quick overview, um, and then you realize why technology is a key to that. So the first one is managing freight demand growth, right? Because we'll see freight demand growth over the next decade. And, and meaningfully managing that is the first field. Then the second is, um, well, serving this freight demand that we have with the best possible combination of transport modes. Third, well, making sure that the vehicles you use in these transport modes um, are shared and are used to the maximum possible extent. Number four, um, that, that, these uh, that these vehicles are energy efficient. And finally, number five, that they use low emissions energy, right? And these are the, the key levers that we have. And just from that list, I think the importance of technology becomes apparent. Um, obviously, well, it includes new fuels and, and vehicle technologies, but this is not what we're looking into here in, in Transporting for Future, right? Um, here we'll look into uh, digital technologies, which also play an important role in this, in this respect as, well, one of, one of the core propositions or core value propositions of digital technologies is to create transparency. And in, with respect to decarbonization, this means transparency about, about vehicle usage, about the level of actual emissions, about uh, mode capacities. And well, this transparency then can be used to optimize the logistics network better and ultimately then drive down emissions. And this is precisely where uh, Transporting for Future uh, comes into play, I would say. Wonderful. And you're talking about transparency, which I think is such a core tenant here. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the challenges that uh, Transform for Future is 
addressing is the need for this uh, key environmental indicator, right? Which would help measure, visualize, and optimize things like CO2 emissions. Um, yeah. You know, can you explain a little bit what are the barriers to solving for an issue like this, and and what could the impact of finding a widely accepted solution be? Mm -hmm. um, so such an indicator would be would be wonderful and and would be very helpful but the issue with these very easy indicators is that they are incredibly difficult to construct and well sometimes even more difficult to interpret once they are there so to to give you an example maybe before i go into logistics from from everyday life so my wife drinks her coffee with with oat milk and and we have a carton of oat milk, uh, old, old milk sitting uh, on our table every morning. And the brand we use, they print the grams of CO2 per liter that is generated in the production of that milk right on the carton. Now, um, so it's it's very present at our breakfast. This number of CO2, this, this volume of uh, or amount of CO2. So now, as a consumer what do I do with this number? So currently it doesn't really help, but it would help if on the carton of cow's milk, there would also be this number featured, right? Because then it would become very obvious how much more CO2 the production of cow milk actually generates. But this comparison then would also only be fair if the calculation method behind it is the same, if, well, the assumptions, the calculation is built on are the same, and beyond that, well, we should also not forget that CO2 is incredibly important. But uh, if you want to look at the environment overall, there are other aspects to be included. So um, how should they be weighed against each other? And um, well, how to then determine holistically which milk is better for the environment? So that's that's one example from from uh, everyday life. And if we, but it's the same issue in logistics that we're looking at. Um, an indicator that would help to actually compare carriers' efforts and, and also the achievements they already made with respect to reducing emissions um, would be very helpful for uh, purchasing decisions, for tendering, maybe for, well, future taxation schemes, for subsidies, whatever. So the, there are many uses that you could think of, but, in the construction of such an indicator you have to make sure that you well do not compare apples with oranges and that the number you get in the end is actually usable so um it's a question of where you draw the boundary right for example do you do you look at the direct vehicle emissions so what comes out of the exhaust pipe or shouldn't you also include the energy supply chain do you look at long-haul transportation or we're looking at last mile. Um, which indicators do you use in the first place? Is it just the amount of CO2 emitted per ton kilometer or something else? And well, and then to which extent, if you have some of these indicators, how do you aggregate them so that they are meaningful, um, but also easy to get across and well, easy to use as a management instrument because that's what it's about in the end. So uh, quite frankly, I consider this challenge to be the toughest out of the five, and well, I'm I'm really looking forward to the results of the challenge, what what the teams come up with there. Yeah, me too. You've definitely convinced me that this is the key challenge, um, <laughs> and the only thing I can add is I think I drink the same oat milk as your wife, 
And you're right, there should be a comparison. A number alone is worth almost nothing, right? Um, so I'd like to ask both of you um, work on projects with with you know far out deadlines, but Fernando at Alice, a lot of the projects have deadlines like 2030 or 2050. Uh, it's very far out in the future. Um, so let's take it a little bit closer to, to the present day. So what do you think could or can reasonably change in the next five years? And maybe more importantly, what can't? What would stay the same? Yeah, before going into the into the question, I I wanted to build in this uh, in this uh, discussion you had. Indeed, uh, when we published our uh, roadmap to a zero emission, it was at the end of 2019. We were starting to think on organizing the International Physical Internet Conference that was going to be held in in Shenzhen, in China. And then we decided, or we said, okay, it's not. We have approved now the, the roadmap. It's not making sense that uh, 20, 30, 40 of the of us say in Alice goes to to that conference and, and we, we create a lot of uh, carbon footprint uh, only to attend the, the conference that is not only it's uh, quite interesting and then we were already working on how we can make this conference to happen in a, in a virtual environment and then at the end uh, it was uh, unlikely because of the COVID of course it, it ended to be completely fully virtual so then at the end uh, what you said on in terms of uh, justice uh, was really applied. We were thinking on that, but everything everything was accelerated. Indeed, I think it's also bringing the opportunity uh, to connect to people that is far away. And I, I also back what Maurice said that the opportunity to connect to people that you wouldn't have connected is is great, and it's complex to to take that opportunity on to put in value, but if it's really working, it's really working. And then go, coming back to the to the question, indeed, uh, it's uh, it's for us, it's very important to think how things could look like in 2030 and 2050, because at the end, this could get you an idea on what you are doing now. It's going to be relevant in the medium term and long term. We, we see sometimes uh, different projects in which uh, you thinking in the in the medium long term, you can see, okay, this is going to become obsolete or this is going to be, it's, it's not going to take longer. This is not going to be a, a proper solution. So there is where we think having this uh, medium long term objectives and frameworks can help uh, to understand the relevance of what you are doing and, and the relevance of the solutions you are you are proposing, and and that's uh, providing again a little bit more of uh, direction. And 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 then the the other point is even if we have these uh, objectives, we are really working on things that could impact uh, the and could uh, really address the, our objectives in the in the short term. It's not that you have objectives in 2030 or 2050 that you don't need to work in 2021 or 2022 you need to work and, and move the way uh, to reach those those objectives and on the on what could should reasonably change what it's clear for us and we had today a conference in our uh, joint collaboration with uh, with hydrogen europe in order to look more how we could speed up uh, transition towards um, uh, or hydrogen vehicles, but also to understand 
what part of the problem could be solved if uh, and how we could get that part of the problem solved as fast as possible but we are working with many other initiatives on rail or on uh, electrification so we are quite broad in our in our portfolio as i said we don't think there is one civil ballot we need to work them all and and really work them all and and create the competitive uh, environment in which uh, at the end we can take the best of of all of them and uh, and then the in the conference we were clearly looking into the objectives in terms of emissions reduction and how we see the technology is developing how is the framework developing and the capability or the the possibilities we have to to decarbonize and there it's clearly a gap it's clearly a gap between what it's we need to do and what we can do effectively in the progress of the technology as it is of today. So this means clearly, and this is what I think needs to change, is that we cannot think uh, that we are going to address these challenges without changing uh, certain paradigms. We need to look a little bit, uh, as uh, Moritz said, out of the box, because if not, it's going. we are going to have very hard time. We are not going to reach uh, to address this, uh, these objectives. We, we really, we are going to be challenged uh, to move out of the of the comfort zone to to work around the the, the problems in a different way and and i think something that i i would like to is not that it might stay the same i would like to stay the same is that eventually uh, when the pandemic started uh, every logistics uh, and supply chain was heavily disrupted and uh, we know some or certain limitations of the of the companies organizations uh, processes digitalization how complex if if Morris explained how complex it is to measure the carbon footprint of a product you can imagine how complex it is to get the products and the supply chains working in effectively and even with this disruption we managed i i don't think there was at least in Europe, any shortage of uh, of main products, and and that's thanks in particular because of the people that is working in this sector. I I don't think they have the right tools. I don't think they have the right framework to deal with this uh, great challenge to get uh, everybody served. But they actually manage. So then, I think the people and the people willing to to work for the for the for the for the cause i think this is what we what i want to stay what i would like to change a little bit uh, is that uh, some people attitude thinking uh, that we cannot do that's impossible it's it's complex it's difficult but it's we cannot say it's impossible we can only say that we don't know how to do it and and that's how i i think i don't like to say this is impossible I say it's impossible because I don't know how to do it, but certainly there should be a way to do it and, and we need to make it and happen and it's challenging, but I think we will manage. Yeah, and I think that's something the pandemic has really forced us to confront. Like you said, I mean, from one day to the next, our entire way of working changed. And for many of us, it wasn't a unprecedented sort of conversation. We've been talking a long time about 
digital, different digital tools to work from home. And then all of a sudden it's forced to happen and we make it work. So maybe- But, um, but essentially, I think essentially, many things we we give it we gave it uh, for for granted were not anymore uh granted indeed it was not the reality uh, so the 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 change was uh, uh impressive uh, it it was uh, really uh disruptive and okay at the end we managed so then at, if we manage with that i think we can manage with uh, with uh, this type of uh, of issues, but we we need to be really willing to to address them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's about like you said that paradigm, that mentality. So, yeah. so with all of these challenges that we've been talking about, um, what what motivates both of you to keep working in this industry, even when you know change can seem very slow and you know pending another sort of pandemic push, it can be very difficult uh, to realize. Uh, Moritz, can you start with talking about sort of where you find your motivation? Sure. So I, I have a natural sympathy for hidden champions. And, and I think logistics is such a hidden champion, not in the sense that you cannot see it. You actually can see a lot of it. Um, so when I look out of the window, it's dark now, but uh, it would be sun out there. Uh, I can see uh, container bridges and, and ships and trucks and CEP vans, so you can see it, but it's hidden, at least that's my feeling often, in a sense that the the importance of logistics for our economic prosperity and, and simply for the functioning of our lives is often not uh, really appreciated by the general public. And to be honest, that, that starts in my own family, right? So, uh, Working in logistics might not appear to be very glamorous, and maybe it isn't, but it's incredibly important, the industry. And what I like about the industry is that you work alongside very smart people that, that shows relevance over glamour. And um, well, now coming back to to the challenges we face, um, well, they they are large, specifically with respect to sustainability. And there was a time not too long ago, um, when my feeling was that there wasn't too much focus on these issues in the industry. But right now, I, I feel that momentum is building uh, in, in companies by, by targets uh, they propose, by, uh, by, by measures they implement, uh, momentum in, in regulation, in NGOs, and well, maybe also in the larger society. So, um, it certainly won't get boring, and uh, this is maybe maybe in a nutshell why why uh, my heart is set on on logistics. That's that's like a more romantic response than I expected. That's beautiful, actually. <laughs> uh, just you can be passionate as, about logistics as well. Yeah, I mean, I hear it. And just as a as a follow up, what do what do your kids think you do? Well, my. Um, um my 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 daughter is six and she uh, she explains it to others actually better than my wife would she she says i'm doing research on trucks and this is not right but this is also not wrong uh, <laughs> so that's that's what she uh, thinks uh, i'm doing but but this this perspective has sh shifted a bit because uh, she now thinks or 
my son, uh, he's three, uh, he, he thinks just video calling is my job. And when I come <laughs> home, they, they actually ask for the numbers of different calls I had the day. So, yeah. That's pretty cute. Um, I guess we all work in the video calls business these days. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, Fernando, how do you how do you keep yourself motivated with these long term goals and and really big picture challenges? Yeah, following on the on the discussion, I, I think uh, uh, a few few months ago, I needed to explain my my daughters that I was not a YouTuber, uh, that I, I didn't want it to be a, an influencer, but uh, actually they they were. They were seeing me all the time in these conferences with videos and all that. They were thinking, okay, he, he's willing to work on that. But they, they already knew influencer. I was. <laughs> and, and indeed, I, I was uh, uh, working on, on, a different, uh, on a different, and they knew, of course. But uh, then one very concrete example. Uh, the other day, uh, my uh, older daughter, she has 11 came back home and he was she was explaining to me today we have uh, got a, a lesson and they have explained uh, what climate change was how it was produced and indeed I was very proud because I know you are trying to work in order to address this problem and and that that's really uh, making uh, this job uh, meaningful because at the end if your daughters are thinking your what you are trying to address is something that is uh, relevant for them it's definitely relevant and uh, and there is where i think is getting us that we are working in this direction uh, the strength the the willingness to, to really uh, move there we, we make sometimes make uh, wrong ass assessments it's very difficult very complex so that you don't know really how to make the best uh, decision what's the best uh, technology what's the best movement and there we are every day learning but actually the framework is uh, it's very 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 interesting and indeed it, this was not the same when i started working on logistics i i was coming from chemical engineer research and and i moved to logistics and and the, i remember the first uh, meeting i had and i was asking okay which is the latest uh, innovation that has been important in logistics and they were telling me okay it was the container and I said okay this was uh, a long time ago and 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 there it is true that the the, the years between 2003-2010 I could not see a lot of movement in in logistics things were done in the same way as in the past and and then after that with digitalization everything changed um, and I remember the first time I saw graphs in which uh, uh, the investment in uh, startups in logistics was uh, rocketing, was even uh, reaching the, the amounts or close to, to some fintechs in, in some areas. And, and you can see how much investment is going into, into these new ways of addressing uh, technology. So then it's not only on, on digitalization, but now it's more also on everything dealing with, uh, with the transportation modes and energies. And it's coming from a very static uh, uh, sector to a really core sector, as, as Moritz said, it's, uh, it's 
always hidden, but also with the pandemic, I think the the importance of logistics has been um, much more visible to to many people. So then this is also getting us to 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 be a little bit more visible on on the importance on on the issues and challenges we are trying to address. Yeah, I think you're so right. You know, so many people are looking to what we're calling trucker heroes uh, as, you know, what's really important in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, the pandemic has really exposed what, what really drives our societies and what keeps us going. Um, and, you know, you're talking about collaboration and technology, and I really think that's one of the main things that continues even throughout this pandemic. And I think that's that's really wonderful, especially as as you're describing the sort of the appetite for sustainability is growing. So I want to thank you both for for joining us today. It's been excellent hearing from you and um, we hope to continue our conversation later. Thank you so much. Thanks to you. Thank you. Thank you very much.